And if I find some glasses, do you have Pastor Rhonda? Thank you. Two fifties. Thank you. Thank you. I'm healed. I can see. I want to set you up this morning for a miracle. I want to greet our podcast congregation and say I believe that today through the power of the next few minutes that God is going to come and God is going to lose some heavy burdens. God's going to set some captive free. God's going to do some brand new things in your life. First Thessalonians 5, I might start reading just a, just a few verses ahead of that. I saw that this morning. This is a passage of scripture concerning the second coming of the Lord talks about a thief in the night, talks about the earth going through labor pains. We share with you the tsunami that took place in Japan. The earth axis actually shifted about four inches, which, which makes our days fractionally shorter. The word said in the last days, the days would be shortened. The Bible says that the, the earth, like a woman in pregnancy, would moan. Four inches is 10 centimeters. That's what a, what's what a mom ovulates, not ovulates, but help me. That too. Before she has, before, so here we find two promises in the last days that are taking place in our generation. I want to bring attention to verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That's, that was that you might brag on me and love on me and, 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 and give me things. I just thought I'd throw that in there. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be in peace, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. So much drama in life, so much drama in every area of our life. God wants us to be at peace with one another. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Do not quench the spirit, despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. My text this morning, or my thought this morning, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you faithful, who also will do it. I want to bring attention to the first line your Bible may read. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. How many of your Bible says that? It says holy, not holy, H-O-L-Y, that, that we are holy in the presence of God, but we are whole. It means that we are complete. Here the writer realizes there are things in life. Happy birthday, Hayden. I forgot all about your birthday. Happy birthday. We are in life, and there are things in our life that has wounded us and has hurt us and has disqualified us and has frustrated us. And there are many people that are so frustrated in life. I mean, they're like a one-legged man at a butt-kicking contest. How many of those that could be pretty frustrating? Are you out there? Are, are, are you alive this morning? So today, God has set you up to bless you. To, to, to minister to you, to teach some things that you need to know. And here's what we know, that you cannot for 45 minutes praise God the way we praise him and not build a place for him to sit. 
today we've made a place where God is not just welcome, but God is able to do all that he wants to do, all that he needs to do. And so this morning, as they asked the men of God, do you have a word from the Lord? I do have a word from the Lord. But the man of God asked them, do you have a song? And the song prepared the hearts of the people for the word of God. I've asked Pastor Gary to come and sing a song that is very dear to me. It's a song that you all know that we sing it in our worship services. But here's what I believe. In the presence of God, there is wholeness. In the presence of God, there is completeness. I believe in the presence of God, God, can, God today can do anything you want him to do. It only takes a moment for God to do it if we can get out of the way. Can we open our hearts and our spirit? Can we hear the words of this song as Pastor Gary comes and sings? And then I will teach you what the Lord has given me for this moment. Pastor Gary. Find 
God Almighty. Breeds of peace. Gary. Pastor Gary travels and ministers with me. He has started churches, raised churches up, evangelized churches, and wrecked churches. That's what we do. He shared with me yesterday on the phone he's seen more salvations in the past six months than he has seen in his entire ministry. How cool is that? Hearts are mended. Hearts are mended. Troubles vanish. You can come in this building with a list, a plethora of things that are that are hurting you and wounding you, a list of them, and, and the Bible says, leave them there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. There are two guys this morning that I want to talk about. One is called the friend of God. I would certainly like to pursue his lifestyle to see how he became to be God's friend. And the other is called a man after God's own heart. I would like to be one of those men that God could be so connected with that he wouldn't have to say a word, but that he would just move his eyes, and I'd be so close to his presence that I would know what direction he wanted me to go just by body language. How cool would that be? That's the place that I want to be, and that's the place I want to go. I want to have a little fun today and, and share. It's kind of a it's kind of a uh, kind of a cool title. Most of you from the '70s can remember Bob Marley. Bob Marley wrote a song that Eric Clapton gets most of the credit for. This is the only song that Eric Clapton actually made number one of all the songs that Eric did, a tremendous guitarist, and, and it was with the Yardbirds, the original Led Zeppelin band from the early 60s. But Eric Clapton made this song popular, but we've got such a salt and pepper blend. I thought it'd be nice this morning just to play a couple of bars of this. Can we play it salt and pepper? Are you guys ready to do that? I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. 
And there's a reason why we're going here this morning. I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. Are we ready? Don't make me sing it. I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. Right, get out of your boxes. that you would enjoy that. What's the meaning of that song? There was something that he did that he took, he, he made himself accountable for, but there's something he didn't do that he removed himself from. And this morning for a few minutes, I like to talk a little bit about guilt, shame, condemnation, failure, if the enemy can, in every area of your life, he would like to mess with you. I think the guys are going to help me this morning. Do we have something to you're going to help me with? I got to get it. Better get it. Tough crowd this morning. Tough crowd. Don't try this at home, but we have practiced this with great deal of carefulness. This morning, I could not find a knife to do what I wanted it to do. So we changed containers and we got something that will work. But I want to, I just want to, remind you this morning that words have either life or have death. I can drive through Taco Bell, I can drive through Wendy's, and my words can create the food the way I want it. Burger King said you can have it your way, and in most restaurants you can. Your words have the ability to create. Your words have the ability to invigorate. Your words have the ability to build up. There's also the flip side of the coin. Your words have the ability to cause pain and the ability to cause hurt. Thank you, Brad. You got everything I wanted you to get for me. We talked about two weeks ago about being a container. How many remember that? Remember I poured one gallon of freezing cold water on Brian's head? Well, today I will not pick on Brian, but that was very kind of him for, to allow me to do that. But the Bible says that we are vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor. The Bible says that we are vessels of clay. We know that we are formed by the potter's touch, that even on the potter's will, bad things happen, and God allows that piece of clay to be reformed to become better than original. We know that we are vessels of wood, that, that Wood can be carved and vessels can be made of wood. A clay can be dropped, a wood can be burnt, but silver is the vessel of redemption. It's very ironic, but the past 21 years of my life, Josh, I have driven a silver vehicle. And today we have the silver Suburban, the silver Lexus, the silver Volvo, the silver uh, jet ski, and today I have silver underwear on. It's amazing. 
silver is the the material of redemption every one of us every one of us obviously are born of clay from the dust of the earth we're taken from the dust of the earth return every one of us are vessels of wood that the father has taken the trees of his planting us we submit ourselves to the sawmill of god and we're letting god turn us into the instrument that he wants us to be we're vessels of silver because we've been redeemed by the blood of jesus and as we pursue in discipleship i started to say diapership but in discipleship as we pursue in discipleship we become that gold vessel that is used at the master's table when i think about and i'll try to do this and not hurt myself when i think about the vessels that we are and the vessels in life i think about words as weapons and there are many times in our life that there are people that will tell us that we are stupid or they tell us that we're ugly or they tell us that they're the reason the divorce happened don't laugh i'm coming to try this on you I mean, how many can relate? How many can relate that things have been said over you and things have been said to you that cause a hurt in your life that you never did overcome? And what happens when all these holes are poked in you as God tries to pour his presence in you? Look what happens. And I'll try to do this without getting electrocuted. Look at somebody say, you leak. You leak that no matter what good is sowed into your life, that the devil has got so many holes poked in you through guilt and failure and condemnation that you can't be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. You know why? Because you disqualify yourself, not anybody else. You disqualify yourself because of your past. Disqualify yourself because of maybe a divorce. Maybe you're a felon. Maybe you're hooked on drugs. Maybe alcohol is your, but everybody tells you you're always going to be a loser. You're just like your dad. You're just like, can anybody relate? But aren't you glad that when Christ comes in our life, we become transparent by the power of the blood of Jesus, and we become what God wants us to be. And look what happens to our vessel when Christ is in our life. We retain. Look at somebody and say retain. And what do we retain? The water of life. Can I tell you, in any kind of disaster, in any kind of catastrophe, whether it's a flood or a famine or an earthquake or a tsunami, Guess, guess what is the first thing to arrive to all these distressed nations? Anybody? Bottled water. Bottled water is the number one demand. When people are in trouble, when people are, are afraid, when people are wounded, when they're hurt, the first thing they cry out is for water. When the, when the rich man in hell saw Lazarus and Abraham, what did he ask for? water this world is a disaster this world is messed up this world is freaking out and what the world is looking for is a river of living water that's supposed to flow out of our bellies that we're supposed to be that refreshment we're supposed to be that breath of fresh air we're supposed to be that cup of cool water that ministers to people that are broken and they're hurting unfortunately we got so much drama in our life and so much stuff in our life and so much failure and shame and condemnation in our life that we cannot be what God wants us to be and this morning just for a few minutes I like to talk about sometimes we come to a place where God wants to separate us from the things in life that are negative and, cri and critical and to surround or sur surround ourselves with things that bless us and build us up I remember and by the way last Sunday JD Lewis's mom passed away went to be with the Lord please remember them in prayer but I remember JD came and stood before this body and I'll never forget what he taught us he said you should hang around people that celebrate you not around people that tolerate you 
And when I look at the life of Abraham, Pastor David, Abraham is called the friend of God. I mean, how cool, how cool can that be to be the friend of God? The Bible says that God called to Abraham and he said he made him a promise. If you obey me, your sons and daughters shall be as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And you know the story of Abraham. He obeyed God. He did what God called him to do. He walked through a he walked through a pattern of God's obedience and submitting to everything that God brought in his life. He became the father of many nations. The Bible said that he was looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And how many know by now he has found that city? He is there. He has arrived. Look at somebody and say, praise God. There are seasons in your life when God will call you to come out and be your separate people. And I've got just a few notes this morning. I'd like to share these notes with you, if I may. If I can find my glass. Can I borrow your glass again, Pastor Gary? You're such a blessing. Do those come in uh, black also? Thanks. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17. Come ye out from among them and be you a holy people. There's the H-O-L-Y. How do I look in these glasses? you like them? may not give them back. Here's what God did. First of all, God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your house. I want you to leave your mama. I want you to leave your daddy. I want you to leave the hood. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your, ci your city. I want you to leave all of your ancestors, and I want to go to a place that I'm going to show you. Okay, go there with me for a minute. How many of us today, you got to realize Abraham didn't have MapQuest. He didn't have a word from Kenneth Copeland. He didn't have the five books of the Bible. Are you with me? He didn't have any of that. He was simply doing his own thing, and whatever he was doing, it caught the attention of God. And we don't know why God picked Abraham. We're not, we're, there's not really any, not any reason or rhyme to Abraham. It was just somebody that God called. There's Abraham, I want you to leave your family. There will come time in your life, believe it or not, when you're going to have to get out of the nest and you can no longer let your parents guide you, direct you, or control you. How'd I do? You'd be surprised how many people I meet. I'm by my church. Well, I can't go. Well, why? Well, my mom doesn't want me to go. I said, well, you're 32 years old. You should be doing what you... Well, no, my mama. You know mama. Mama, you, I mean, you want to keep mama happy. You want to upset mama. There are a lot of people that allow their family pressures... And, and the family things going on in their life to keep them from becoming what God wants them to be and what God wants them to do. I mean, sometimes our family doesn't want us going to school, doesn't want us going to church, doesn't want us doing anything that we want to do. Can anybody relate? And I'm not saying that your family is bad, but I think, some, I think sometimes the things that are familiar, God wants us to leave those things and test the waters and find some new stuff. Is anybody with me? The second thing that God told Abraham to do, he said, I want you to leave Egypt. In Egypt, Abraham had two failures. First failure was he married a beautiful wife. And they went to Egypt. The king there called Abraham into his presence. Abraham got scared that the king, if he knew that his, his wife, that the king would kill Abraham and take his wife. So Abraham introduced his wife as his sister. And that was a half-truth. She, she technically was related. God told him to marry her. So the king brought Sarah into his palace and began to try to date her. And how many knows what happened? A curse came and everybody in the house, including the king, got sick. And the king went to his soothsayer, went to his magician, went to his tarot card, went to his Ouija board. 
and say, what's going on? And everything pointed towards Abraham. The king calls Abraham and says, what have you done? What's going on? Said, why is there disease and sickness in my house? And Abraham said, well, said that woman, she's not just my sister. She is my wife, but I was afraid that you was going to kill me. Hello. And that's why I lied and said it was my sister. And the king said, Abraham, get you and your sister, wife, mama, whatever, and get out of here and get away from me. I don't know that Abraham ever forgave himself for that lie. I don't know that Abraham ever got over the fact that he lied. He's, he's a man of God. He's learning how to be a man of God. You're not supposed to lie. You're supposed to tell the truth. The second thing that happened to Abraham in Egypt is when God told him he was going to make him a father over thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that Abraham and Sarah could not conceive. I'm sure they practiced, but just something wasn't working. Something just didn't click. And they, get, they got a little older in life. And Sarah realized that Abraham was frustrated because every, every dad needs a son. Every dad needs a daughter to be what you want to be. You feel those things in you that you want to have a nest. You want to teach. You want to train. And so Sarah comes to Abraham and said, listen, I am too old to have a, have a baby. Here, take my 22-year-old handmaiden and you, you guys, you know, have, have a child. And Abraham said, whatever you want, honey. Hello. Whatever you say. And so he got her pregnant. You know the story. Ishmael was born. And everybody in Abraham's life knew that Abraham had compromised, did not wait for God, but had an affair with, with Hagar and had a baby. So when God told Abraham to leave Egypt, God was telling Abraham to leave his mistakes and failures behind him. The first verse our guys learn when they come into the ministry is Philippians 3 and 13. And that is forgetting those things which are behind I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. Listen, if the enemy can, he'll take a little thing called a diary and he'll beat the living daylights out of you. He'll remind you of every mistake, every failure. There are seasons in your life when you will be attached to music and there are still in my life today. I'll be somewhere and I'll hear a song. It'll remind me of that season that I was divorced. I'll hear a song. It'll remind me of that season that I was horrifically hooked on drugs. It's amazing how music can connect us to our past. And God is saying, I want you to get out of Egypt. I want, to, I want you to get away from all your mistakes and failures because I'm going to do a great thing for you. And when God did that great thing, he showed him as far as the east is from the west, the north is from the south. And God gave it to Abraham. Abraham's going to give it away in a minute. I'll, I'll teach you how not to give your things away to relatives. But, God, but Abraham obeys God and as Jesus left Egypt and went back home, so did Abraham leave the land of Egypt, got away from his mistakes and failures. As we look at the life of David, we're going to learn how you can deal with your mistakes and failures through the liquid paper of the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone say, praise God. Amen. The third thing that, that God asked Abraham to do, first of all, Abraham, I want you to get away from your traditions, from your family, from all that influence. And then I want you to walk away from your failures and mistakes. Quit beating yourself up. Quit driving yourself in the ground over it. The third thing that I want you to do is that I want you to leave Ishmael. As you know, Ishmael was born 15 years of age. God honors Abraham and Sarah. They have a baby. Isaac is about three. And all Ishmael will do is to make fun and poke fun at, at, at Isaac. And so God told Abraham, Send Ishmael and his mom out in the wilderness. I'll provide, I'll protect them, I'll bless them. And Abraham does exactly what God has called him to do. I'm sure it was tough. 
had been in Ishmael's father for 15 years. I'm sure that was tough. But listen, God will never ask you to give up something that he doesn't bless you with something more awesome. Let me say that again. There are things in your life that are, that are important to you, that are special to you. They may have been conceived the wrong way. They may have been gotten the wrong way. You may have pursued them the wrong way. But, but they're still important to you. And God's saying, I cannot do what I want to do with you until you deal with this that you've done on your own, on your own time, on your own merit. Can anybody relate to what pastor is saying? And I don't know. I guess we make sure there's nothing in our life that would keep us from what God wants us to be and God wants us to do. And you guys can take that anywhere that you want to take it. Then God tells Abraham, I want you to leave Lot. Lot was caught. His, 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 his men were raising cattle. Abraham's men were raising cattle. They got to fighting. They got to fussing. The Bible says everything was a contention. And all there was was confusion and, and drama. And everybody was all messed up. So Abraham took Lot. God told Abraham to leave his family, but he took Lot with him. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what you want to read in between the lines there. I guess when God says everything, he means everything. When God says give it all, I guess he means give it all. Don't, don't hold any part back. So God takes Abraham up on a mountain. Abraham and Lot stand on this mountain. And Abraham gives up half of what God wanted him to have. And he says, Lot, you look, whatever you want. Whichever horizon you take, I will take the other. And so Lot looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's where I want to go. So Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah. So God sends Abraham off in the direction of the land that Abraham now has claimed for his family and for the glory of God. I think that I wrote here with Lot is leaving the distractions and dramas of life. There are people in your life that no matter how you set it up, no matter how you prepare it, when you go around them, there's conflict. Can you relate? There, there are people. I mean, it does not matter if you send gifts. It doesn't matter if you wash their car. It doesn't matter if you give them money. When you get around, it's not very long before they've got you in an attitude of griping, fussing, complaining. And, and here I believe that God is saying, go again, go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Put people in your life that encourage you, bless you, not people in your life that drain you. When the youth came back from um, uh, Florida, someone left the light on the van. As so the next morning, I go out, I've got the van. Someone's got all the other vehicles. I don't know where they're at, but I've got the van, and I'm in a hurry. I'm five minutes late. I'm going to make up for it because our van runs pretty good. Put the key in the ignition, turn the key, click, 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 click. What in the world is wrong? What did the youth do to the van? My God, they only had it five days. And then I look in the, in the rearview mirror, and I see this little dome light just barely, barely on. Someone left the light on, and it drained the battery. Listen, people of contention can drain you. People with drama can drain you. Sometimes I just want to stick my head out the window and scream, I can't take it no more. Can anybody relate? I remember sitting in one counseling session. I promise you, if I'd had a loaded weapon, I'd have taken my own life. I looked at that person. I said, I said, I don't even think Jesus can help you in some of this stuff. You've got some serious problems. I don't know that even Jesus. I mean, I really did. That's how frustrated and irritated I was. But, you know, we feel like, well, this is the, this is the year we spend with so-and-so. This is the year. Listen, plan your own weekend. Plan your own holidays. Plan your own life. Don't let somebody else manipulate you and drag you down where they, where they are. Someone say, praise God. When Lot did what he did, Abraham got everything back. And then Abraham, this is pretty cool. Abraham is going to tell, God is going to tell Abraham 
and please hear this correctly, to leave Sarah. There's a sermon preached by Dr. Mark Camby. It's one of the greatest sermons of all time. And it has to do with Abraham telling Sarah, go home. Mama, go home. Mom, you birthed him, you raised him, you love him. You got to let him go. Sarah knew what the fire was for. And Sarah knew what the wood was for. And Sarah knew that Abraham was up to something. Wasn't sure what he was up to. But she had to release him. She had to allow him to push towards the things that God had called him to that he no longer could be dependent. Are you ready ready for this? Of her devotion, of her dedication, of her prayer life, of her faith, of her testimony. I speak to every guy in this building. And you've got to come to a place in your life where you stop letting your wife pray for the kids before they go to school. You've got to come to a place in your life where you are that voice that declares what the Word of God says, and this is what we're going to do. You come to a place in your life where you where you stop you stop allowing mom to make all the decisions concerning spirituality, and you step up the plate. There have been times in my life, and Pastor David, I haven't, I've I've enjoyed this. There are times in our life when great people come to this church and their husband won't come. They flat will not come for whatever reason. They will not come. It's the hardest thing I ever do. But I go to that wife and say, "Listen, if your husband wants to go to church, you got to go to church with him." He's a spiritual head. If this is the church he chooses, and sometimes, and, and sometimes I, I grit my teeth and I, and I say, I, I, I don't know that's what's best for them, but the wife has got to honor the husband. And listen, if the, wife, if, if the husband loves the wife the same way that Christ loved the church, the wife will have no challenge submitting. She'll have no challenge honoring that decision. She trusts that decision. That's, the, that's why the women are in our life. They want us to make a decision, they, except that sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. They want us to be assertive and positive. And Eric, I'll, I'll ask Pastor Ron, where you want to go eat? I don't care where you want to go. I have a Taco Bell. Said, I hate Taco Bell. Well, I thought you didn't care. Well, any play with Taco Bell. Okay, Wendy's. Wendy's, why well, do I want to go to, what's it, Wendy's? I said, wait a minute. I thought you wanted me to be the head. No, no. They just want us to think that we're the head and really do what they want to do. Because if you listen long enough, they'll tell you what they're thinking. So, and guys, prayers like, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Podcast, remain calm. <laughs> guys, prayers like, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for this food, amen. You really, you really need to work on your vernacular. You really need to expand your vocabulary with God. And guys, prayers like, oh, God, save the world. I mean, guys, those are redundant prayers. It needs to be a fresh prayer. It needs to be a fresh devotion. And can I say something to wives? When, when we try to step out of this, this, this area of timidity and we try to be a little bolder and we try to pray over the meal and we try to make decisions, give us some room. Give us some space. Give us opportunity. Don't, don't, don't make fun of us and say, you want a what? You, what you, God said what to you? What God are you talking? My God, I've been married to you 30 years. I don't even know that you knew God. Hello. <laughs> Give us some room to step up the plate to become that spiritual head and that spiritual leader that we're supposed to be. Does that help anybody? And then, and then, and then something that I felt like God showed me. I've never heard this taught. I've never heard this preached, but I feel like that, that God, God shared it with me. And I cannot share it with you in the King James context that it's in. 
because I'm sure I'll offend somebody. Speaking of offending somebody, several years ago, God gave me a word. Jesus told the disciples to go to a certain street, a certain house, and there they would find a donkey. Go and take the donkey. If the master says anything, tell them that the Lord has need of your donkey. I don't know if you remember that sermon. I thought it was a great sermon, but the word in King James is not donkey. And I use the other word, and I made three points. First of all, God needs your donkey. God knows where your donkey is at, and God will use your donkey. Well, I, I thought, my God, I am, you know what? A year later, I hear T.D. Jakes preach. Someone sent him my tape. He preached the very first, same sermon, and 5,000 people were clapping, shouting, and cheering. I had two, two couples left the, left the church and never came back. They got offended. So today, I will not say anything offensive, but as they begin this journey to climb the mountain, as they got to the place where Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, he told the, he told the lads that were with them, stay here with the donkey. Separate yourself from anybody that would stop you from doing the right thing. Separate yourself from anybody that would hinder you pursuing the things of God. God tells you what, tells you to give away your car. There's some people you don't need to tell that to because they'll talk you out of it. When God tells you to take a step spiritually, there are people who say, you're, you're going you're gonna to crash and burn. You're going to sink. You're going to get those people out of your life. 30 days before I committed my heart to the Lord, I had two friends, and we had purchased a large amount of hash. And we divided it and sold it. They kept the money. I, I, my, my profit, I, I smoked my profit. We had set up a deal where we were selling $60,000 worth of marijuana to a, to a party that wanted to buy it. We found it. We all three carried 9 millimeters, Smith & Wesson's, nickel-plated. I was freaking out on cocaine. The Sunday night that I went to church and gave my heart to God, that next Monday, I called my friends. And I said, listen, I'm not putting you down. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ragging on you, but I'm telling you, I gave my heart to God last night, and I really need to get clean. I really need to turn my life around. And I can't do it coming around you. I know you, you say you'll keep the stuff away from me, but I'll do it. If I come to your house, I'm going to shoot coke. I'm going to get high. And, and I, I just want you to know I love you. I care about you, but I'm not coming anymore. And every one of my friends, I called them and told that to them. That was Monday. On Friday, my two friends sold $60,000 worth of marijuana to the Anaheim Police Department. It was a sting. It was a bust. Both of them went to prison. Both of them. I just connected with them 31 years later. I just connected, connected with them. One has cirrhosis of the liver because he's an alcoholic, and the other one is still strung out on cocaine 30 years later. God said, I do not want you to associate with that influence. I want you to associate with the influence that I will put into your life. And this morning, a lifelong friend of the family is here. And the reason he's here is because 30 years ago, when I went through a divorce, there was a couple in the church that let me come over every night. I drove them nuts. I cried. I bawled. I, I, I commanded Ronna to come back in their living room chair. I mean, I, I, I took them through this. But you know what? They stayed right there with me. And Skeet and Sonia Frey will be here next week, and you're going to get to meet them, a family that I'm in covenant with. But because of my relationship with them, 
we've opened the door for Danny to come, be discipled, be a part of the things of God. God is raising up relationships in your life that can affect your children's children. Anybody that's down with things of God, unhappy things of God, separate yourselves from them. I'm not saying we're not supposed to be a light in a dark place. I'm not saying we can't have sinner friends, but I'm saying don't let your sinner friends pull you. To, if you can't pull them up, get away from them. That's good teaching. That's good preaching. Someone say amen. Several weeks ago, we talked about Ziglag. There's some things I did not tell you about Ziglag. Right before God proclaims David as king over Israel, God allows David to go through one more test. I'm going to bring attention to where Ziglag is located. Ziglag is like Dalton. It's a border town. Part of Ziglag was located in the land of the Philistines, and part of Ziglag was located in the land of Judah. David was born of the house of Bethlehem from the land of Judah. David, however, was not camping in Judah, was not at the place of praise, but he was camping in a border town that was attached to the Philistines. David had killed Goliath, but somehow David had favor with the Philistines, they did not bother David as he was living on the edge of their territory. There are many people in life that need to be in the land of Judah. You taste it, you touch it, you experience it, you see what it does in your life, but you're camping on the border. You still are attached to the world. You want the things of Judah, but you're still attached to the world. And in case you're disappointed, or God or the church let you down, you can run back to the same place where the Philistines camp about. And God did not want David camping at Ziglag. God had Jerusalem for David, the place of the Prince of Peace, the place where destiny was. That's what David was called to do when he was 17 years old. I want you guys to notice something. Joseph and David were both 17, and perhaps Esther when God called them. For 13 years they went through hell. For 13 years, they went through harassment. For 13 years, they went through conflict. They survived. Joseph survived every test. He did not sleep with Potiphar's wife. He did not get bitter when the servant forgot to re remind him to Pharaoh. He was faithful where he was. He may have been in a prison, but he became king over that prison. God blessed him. David, for 13 years, ran from Saul, but yet destroyed Saul's enemies. For 13 years, he didn't get better. He didn't get frustrated. He did the work of the Lord, and he stayed faithful. He stayed consistent. At the age of 30, what are you saying? I've told you about Colonel Sanders, 67 years old. He made a pot of chicken. A restaurant liked it. They, they wanted some more, and that, that's just the beginning of the story. What many of you don't know, that we have a friend. Let me say, uh, Kelly Goins and John David are on st were on staff with a pastor that we're going to go preach for in Louisville. Bob Rogers run about 5,000. Bob Rogers' dad birthed that church, Louisville, Kentucky. And one Sunday, Colonel Sanders goes to, to, to this Assembly of God in Louisville, comes up to the altar. The, the pastor recognizes him, greets him, and said, what, 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 what do you want God to do for you? And Colonel Sanders said, I cuss all the time. I, I, I'll open my mouth, 20 cuss words will come out. And I'm, and I'm meeting people of, of rapport, people of, of prominence, and, and my, my mouth is so bad. I said, do you think God, do you think God could help me, my cousin? 
And this Pentecostal pastor said, I believe that I do. Laid hands on him, prophesied over him. And from that day forward, Colonel Sanders never said one more cuss word. God restored his vocabulary, allowed him to think like God and speak like God at the age of 67. Listen, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many rehabs you've been to, how many years you spent in prison. When God called you in your mother's womb, he knew there'd be a bump in the road and he knew that you would make it. You would survive. You've been to hell, but you're back. You're back now. You survived. You got the scars that say, I have endured and I know, I know now what not to do. Hello. If you don't know what to do, at least you know now what not to do. Am I, am I helping anybody? So in this, in this zigzag, David is out doing the work of God. The enemy comes and burns his house to the ground. Think about that just for a minute. Has two wives, several sons. Takes all the wives, doesn't kill any of the wives. Takes all the wives, all the kids, and all the possessions, and, 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 and flees. When they come back, 1 Samuel 30... When they come back, the men, 600 warriors, are so trashed. They are, they are, they are so filled with, with hurt, fear, everything you can imagine. Their wives are gone. Their kids are gone. Their house is burnt to the ground. I want every guy to put yourself in that place. You go home, your house is burnt, your kids and wife have been stolen. Stolen by people that you know will hurt them, will rape them, will murder them, will torture them, will put them into slavery. The guys were so distressed that they wanted to kill David. Because David was their leader. He's the one that says, hey, let's go kick butt, take names. It was David that motivated them to get out of the cave of shame and, 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 and disgrace. Every, every manner of depravity. The Bible says these were guys that were discontent. They were miserable. They were depressed. David went in that cave, and they made him captain. He was captain over 400 losers. The man of God came and said, David, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm captain over all these losers. The man of God said, get out of the cave, turn these guys into warriors, and go take back what the enemy has stolen. And for 13 years, David did that. The 13th year, everything is gone. All the guys that he had sold his life into turned their back on him. They were mad at it. Their, their families were gone. I, I guess I can understand that. But I love it when it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David, David separated himself from all the negative voices, separated himself from the past failures, separated himself from the fact that his wife and kids were gone. And David asked for the ephod. He said, I want to talk to God. We are in trouble. We need a God word. Let me tell you something. Our house of, of reps are getting ready to, to sign a bill. It's a good bill. It's a balanced bill. It's not going to pass. It's not going to pass. Our president is going to veto it. It seems like right now our government is bent on bankrupting our country. I have my own reasons why I believe that's true. I received a phone call a few days ago, and I was told that 80 metric tons of gold has been purchased, has been ostracized. I said, why would you ever want that much gold? And I was told to start another government. And that comes from sources that know what they're talking about, sources that are, that are aware of the one world government. The Bible says there'll be a, a mark that everybody will take. There'll be one currency. If you don't have this mark in your forehead, they are now putting these, these implants underneath the skin of animals. If your pet goes missing, you can find your pet. They're talking about putting these implants in, in children so that if children's kidnapped, that they know where the kids are at. 
I mean, all these things are lining up with what God's word has to say and with what God's word is doing. And we are living in that generation. We are living in the generation that will probably see the second coming of the Lord. And the Bible says before that day, there's going to be a revival that rocks the world, multitudes in the valley of decision. And I believe right now as we're seeing people saved, Pastor Gary saw more people saved in the past six months. We've had people saved in this church every week for several weeks. I mean, God, God is doing something, and we need to make sure that we know what God is doing, and we're a part of it. So David separates himself from every, every, everything negative, goes to God, and says, God, what shall I do? God gives him three mandates. Pursue, recover, and take all. Go after him, David. It's yours. Go after it. The Bible says if a thief steals, you are to confront him, and he has returned you sevenfold what he has stolen from you. That's God's promise to you in the last days. God told David, said, you go after it. You go get it. You bring it back. You, 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 you get back everything that was stolen. And the Bible says they, they pursued him. They caught him. They got everything that was stolen, plus all of their booty, all their treasure. Got to remember, there were no safes. There were no places to lock their treasure. So when they went to battle, they didn't trust their own family. When they went to battle, they took all their treasures with them. How many knew that? Took three days to gather the spoils of that battle. How many would like to go under attack, win the battle, and then be able to collect spoils for three days? How many would like to go to Walmart with a cart and be given permission for three days? You can take anything you want out. Whatever you take out is yours. How many would like that? Anybody? That's what happens when you shun the wrong and do. I'm not saying God's going to give you three days shopping, and I'm not saying God's going to honor your lottery ticket. I'm just saying God honors faithfulness and what the enemy has taken from you. God wants to bring back and God wants to restore. Go to Psalms 51. It's four minutes after 12. I'm almost done. Psalms 51. David is taken from that scenario. From Ziglag to Zion, he's made king over Israel, does great, incredible things, gets depressed. Everyone can relate to depression. The Bible says to sleep at night, work by day. Those who are overwhelmed by depression will sleep by day, stay up all night. They got their days and their nights messed up. Is anybody with me here? For some reason, David's not sleeping right. He's depressed. Stays up late one night. Sees something that he should not have seen. Sees a young lady bathing. Something happens in his loins. He finds out where she is. Calls her to himself. Gets her pregnant. Finds out that she's pregnant. Sends for her husband hoping he would go home and sleep with her, and then she could tell him she was pregnant, and the warrior would think the baby was his. He does not go home. He lays on the, on the, on the castle threshold, lays there that night. He said, if my soldiers, which are under my care, cannot be with their wives, neither will I be. Quite an quite a interesting man lays there. And then David sends him to the front of the battle and tells the captain to abandon him. And in the front of the battle, he loses his life, David, after the time of mourning is passed, brings her into his house. The baby, as many of you know, I preached a sermon, the baby with no name, the baby's never named. Eight days later, the baby dies. The Bible says that David washes his face and begins to eat. And the people ask, why 
when the baby when the baby was 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 sick you you didn't you didn't eat now the baby is dead why are you eating because David realized that he was in the perfect will of God and he submitted that perfect plan let me say that again didn't get bitter didn't have the attitude I'm the king I can do anything that I want to do but Psalm 51 he declares have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness is that what it says blot out my transgressions and wash me and I will be clean David placed himself in the presence of God knowing that one day there will be a lamb that will be slain from the foundation of the world and the blood of that lamb would wash away every sin every mistake every failure past present and future and David said create in me O God verse 10 a new heart and renew a right spirit into me David got caught get David David obviously got caught but you know what David did instead of getting bitter he turned to God and said God forgive me restore what I've lost wash me purge me and I shall be clean no matter where you're at today, I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last month. I don't care what your record says. I don't care what, what life has said. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And one of my favorite scriptures, Janine, is the promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Never left us, never been us, stayed right there with us. Charles Greenway was a businessman at the age of 40. Felt like God called him into the mission field of China. The, uh, that a 14-year-old son that had cerebral palsy, he was very sick, uh, went through a lot of treatments, went through a lot, of, a lot of stuff, all the money they made, paid for his medication, and the, de the, the denomination that he was a part of would not allow him to go to the mission field because they were afraid the child would get over there and not have medicine and die. One night the child got real sick and the child died. Charles Greenway called out to God and said, God, I'm not going to let a tragedy make me bitter. I'm not going to turn my heart against you. I'm going to stay right here. And later in life, you'll tell me why my baby was not healed, why my baby did not live. They went through a year of mourning. A year later, he accepted. And I called Charlie Ellis this morning to make sure that I was correct. They accept, he accepted the call to go into the mission field. And in the next 30 years, raised up 17,000 churches organized 8,000 schools, touched every nation except Antarctica, won thousands of people to the Lord. And, on, and when they came back to the, to the nation, met with their pastor, the pastor said, is there anything I can pray about? He said, yeah, I want you to pray for my wife. She still mourns the loss of her son. See, there are things in life that hurt, things in life that wound. And going to God and asking God to wash your way and to restore does not mean that God is going to remove your memory. It doesn't remove that God is going to take things that hurt you in life. And there might, there might be things that you might reflect on the rest of your life. doesn't mean that you're weak. doesn't mean that you're not where God wants you to be. There are things that are important to us that hurt, and we remember them. That's what a scar does. It reminds us of a battle that we were in or a hurt that we were in, and we survived, but the scar is still there. As as Perry brought some missionaries over from China, there's a there's a missionary that they support and they ask her to share a couple of stories of, of what God had done in China, some incredible miracles. First of all, if you are caught in China with the Bible, you're assassinated. And they don't they don't they don't care. They don't they don't if you're if you're caught having a Bible study, well this guy got caught. And they told him we're gonna throw you in the hole 
and for 60 days we're not going to feed you and 60 days from now we're to come we're going to scrape scrape your carcass off the floor of this jail and we're going to hang it up in the village and let everybody see what happens to people that preach the gospel true story thrown in the prison solitary confinement sitting there in the dark praying i mean, what else you got to do when you're in prison for life praying all of a sudden here's a noise and it looks over and there's this huge rat when i heard that i said well he must have eaten on rats for the next 60 days no the rat had an apple and as he approached the rat the rat got scared dropped the apple and ran off he goes oh the lord giveth the lord taketh away blessed be the name of the lord ate the apple the next day the rat brings a banana for the next 60 days now, if you don't think about ravens, ravens are the nastiest, ugliest, smelliest, nauseous birds of the air. God used a raven to feed a prophet that day. God used a rat to feed a man of God that day. When they came in 60 days later, Pastor Gary, they thought he would be dead. They were getting ready to haul his body off. He had lost a pound. He'd been eating fruit for 60 days. He was healthy. He was whole. It scared them so bad they turned him loose, let him go, and never harassed him again. And he raised up one of the strongest ministries in China because God is faithful. God is faithful. He is a faithful God. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, as no one's looking around just for a minute, I believe, I believe that today is a red-letter day. I believe in the worship there were miracles. I believe in the message and the song there were miracles. I believe there are miracles today that God is turning your heart back to him. God is turning your, your thoughts back to him. You have disqualified yourself. You've said to yourself, I can never be what God wants me to be. I can never do what God wants me to do. Words have wounded you. And you are a leaky vessel. But today God wants to heal. And not just heal, but restore. We've talked about restoration. When something is restored, it's restored with better parts than the original. Better equipment than the original. And restoration is always better than it was originally. God has brought you into a season of restoration as a clay in the hands of the Lord. Maybe you were 12 and you loved the Lord, raised up in church all your life. But somehow, even 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 in God's in God's presence, your your vessel was dropped, it was broken, it was wounded, it was dinged. God did not throw you away, He didn't discard you, but God put you back on the wheel. And He took those hurts and those pains and he began to reshape and remold that your testimony could be used and you could touch so many people throughout the nation. There are people that Pastor Ron and I will never touch. There are people that Pastor Gary will never touch. But you will touch them because you've been there, did that. You've got the T-shirt. You know exactly what they're thinking. You know exactly what they're going through. And you're able to minister to them. Today is a great day. You may have already recommitted. You may have already prayed the prayer. But you're here this morning, said Pastor Hank, when I walked in this door, I was not where I needed to be with God. But today I've made things right. And I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a journey. I'm, I'm a baby. I'm starting all over again. But I needed to hear this word that I could not allow the past to hurt me and wound me. The blood of Jesus, I washed away my mistakes, and today I'm new. And I'm going to live my life for God. If that's where you're at, just put your hand up. Put it right back down. Yes, yes, please. just hold them up just for a minute. Yes, yes, please. No one looking around. Seven, eight, nine, ten. 
Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Jesus, in your ministry of saving thousands, you never made anybody stand up. You never asked anybody to come forward. But you met them right there where they were. You met them at the gate. You met them at the well. You met them at the river. You came right where they were. And you calmed their fears. You answered their questions. You solved their problems. You didn't embarrass them. You didn't stand them up in front of everybody else and make them apologize or repent. So I'm asking you today to go to all nine of these precious children, all nine of these sons and daughters of, of Zion. Lay your hand upon their heart. Let them know they've not committed the unpardonable sin. Let them know they're not too far away. They're not too lost. They're not too bad. Let them know that when you created them, before they were in their mother's womb, they were in your presence. And when you brought them upon this earth, you knew there'd be a bump in the road. You knew there'd be a mistake. We are people. We do dumb things. People do dumb things. But today you've told us to cast all our care upon you. Those listening by podcast, it feels like that maybe they're too far away from God. Let them know today. All they've got to do is call upon your name. And immediately as a father responds to the cry of his child, as a husband responds to the cry of his wife, you come that quick and you catch us. As that, as that mama eagle catches that baby eagle before it crashes and burns, so do you catch us. And you carry us to your presence. And you begin to speak comfortably to us. You begin to tell us it's okay, you forgive us. You begin to encourage us to forget the mistakes of yesterday and look forward to our deaths and look forward to the things that you have for us. That we might be whole. That every every wound would be restored. Not just patched with a band-aid, but be restored, healed. These hands that have lifted today, I ask you, Lord, for them to declare it with me. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have failed you. But today I confess my sins to you and I, I hold nothing back. I bring not a lot with me. I birth no Ishmael. But I declare today that I want to be your son, your daughter. I want to live my life for you. I know there's mistakes I've made. And with some of those mistakes, there are consequences. But as John was boiled in oil and placed on the Isle of Pat, Patmos as a prisoner, you spared him. You stayed with him. And he wrote one of the most beautiful books of the Bible, three letters and a gospel. You're not done with me. As you were not done with Colonel Sanders, as you were not done with Mother Teresa, so are you not done with me. All the things that have happened to me have given me a testimony. I can declare about a God that he heals, restores, delivers, forgives, makes brand new. Create in me today a new heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Wash me with your blood. Purge me. Let there be a name written down in glory. A new name. Not my earthly name. But my name you gave me when I was in my mother's womb. Do these things in Jesus' name. And we declare it. And you all said. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. For he hath done great, incredible, phenomenal things. He is a faithful God. I want to make you aware that tomorrow night, guys, we have about an hour together. It's a great time of fellowship, great time of ministry, great time of being around some older men of God and sharing some challenges and hearing counsel. 
every Wednesday morning, Pastor David is meeting the guys at the ranch. They might meet at Denny's. They're kind of flexible there. But if you're not busy, 8 o'clock in the morning Wednesday, that opportunity has been awarded you. Wednesday night is the closing session of John Bevere's uh, The Fear of God. 